1: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Welcome to the camera podcast, Pubs Pints People, for our weekly chat about beer, cider, pubs, and more. My name is Katie Wiles and I've got Aunt Fiorillo and Matt Bundy with me and the original trio is back in town. Hello guys. It's been too long since we've been together.
3: <laughs> it has. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it? We've, we've, we've had some great guests coming in and this is, this is the original lineup. It's just good to catch up with you all. Katie, you were away last week. Was your week as relaxing and beer-filled as
2: mine was? Well, it was lovely. I'm not sure about relaxing. I've <laughs> learned my lesson about trying to take a toddler to sleep in a house that isn't the
4: one that they've gotten oh, used to in lockdown.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the beaches were gorgeous in Pembrokeshire but we didn't sleep for three days so yeah. <laughs> I think that's the end of holidays for the next few years.
5: <laughs> oh dear, oh yes, going on holiday with a toddler. is—is There's just something so magical about having 25,000 bags in the back of the car for the smallest person in the family <laughs> and just a rucksack for each of you. I've got the ace up the sleeve because I'm going seeing family so I can do a quick palm off if needs be. Oh, lovely. This lockdown really has been a weird one hasn't it? I am actually going to go on holiday right after we record this, one of the enough listeners.
2: It's a car packed and ready.
5: It's literally, I'm going to, I'm going to shut the laptop down, <laughs> no. put it under my arm and lock the front door.
2: Thank you for squeezing <laughs> us in.
5: <laughs> oh, nice. Have either of you been down to the pub this week? Uh, I have, I, I'm,
3: I'm glad to say. I went to my local Fuller's up in Berkhamsted. the boat, lovely location right on the canal. And, and I'll tell you what, I was just really impressed with how they had switched around the layout. There were stickers on the floor and on the windows everywhere, just telling you exactly what to do. And I thought the staff were magnificent as well. The way that they kind of ushered people through the one-way system, and they noted down your details as you as you came in. They were living up to their name about the running a tight ship, ship shape all along.
2: Well, there weren't actually that many pubs open down in Wales when I was there because it literally opened up two days before I arrived. It was a little bit early, but and I've been obviously catching up on sleep since I came back. My local, the Black Line, in and Buzzard has opened its doors this week and they've totally had to reconfigure their indoor layout to open safely and do this whole one-way system and everything so I'm really excited to pop down this weekend and check them out.
5: I don't think people realise how much work goes into, into getting these pubs reopened safely. I was in the pub just the other week with some friends, we met centrally in Clophill and, and exactly the same as you two, you know, stickers on the floor, one-way systems, they've basically reorganised their entire business model to table service, set up sanitation stations, done disposable menus, contactless payments and and all literally the drop of a hat really.
3: I think we've, we've got to salute the army of workers out there who've done this. And I'll I tell you what, the the good thing is, though, there's many businesses are jumping at the chance to help. And this yes. week, we'd like to give a special shout out to Track Safely, who we're actually working with this week to sponsor the podcast. Track Safely, it's a really simple resource. It helps publicans track and trace customers, which obviously is a big, onerous responsibility. And all you have to do is you ask customers who arrive at the door or table to text their name to your number, and then you receive an email with all the details you need. So it makes a lot simpler
2: i think a lot of pubs have to fuss about with apps or get their staff to write a list out and things like that so this is just like a really simple and safe option it costs the business 30p a day to run it quite a low cost and easy way of keeping that track and trace safely done so you can find out more by visiting tracksafely.co.uk.
5: very good so if you're a listing publican, and give that one a whirl Right, well, it's on to this week's special topic, and we are diving into the world of vegan and vegetarian beers. Although I suppose it's not really as much a world anymore as people might think it is, is it?
2: There's a lot of beers, actually, that will already be vegan without you even realising it or, you know, looking out for that. There's obviously some things in a beer that can make it not suitable, though. So things such as using lactose in milk stouts, but even the coloring that you use in some beers and something called Isinglass. So quiz time, guys, what do you think Isinglass is? Ms. Wiles, Ms. Wiles, pick me. Oh, of course he knows, <laughs> know.
3: Bundy knows. <laughs> Bundy had about to both hands up. I didn't just Google this before, and I, I promise. Uh, so when I, when I used to work on cider and beer company, I used to work on our websites. It was always one of the things in the FAQs where you had to write down why a beer or cider might not be vegan. And it mentioned Isinglass, and it was some kind of I think it's like called a finey agent mm. and I think it's like, I, I'm not sure exactly what it does, but I know it's like gelatin type stuff and I think, I might be wrong, I think it's made from the delectable sounding dried fish bladders. Sorry, what now? <laughs> I think that's what it is.
2: Speaking of your marketing days, Matt, a little birdie told me that you're a free agent at the moment, professionally speaking at least.
3: <laughs> yeah, there we are. Mm. Well, unfortunately,
2: uh, COVID came for me and my job or, like a lot of people out
3: there. But, you know, it gives me more time to do the gardening Yeah. And to do the podcast and to read up about fish bladders and things like that.
5: And actually, no, more to the point here, as much as we sort of jest about it a little bit, that there's a lot of people facing uncertainty in the world of work right now, post-Covid. Uh, so, you know, the more that we can help each other, the better. Let's say we're a small, close-knit community on the podcast, and we know that the Camry community are always supportive as well. So, let's move on to our first interview with Phil Sultanstall from Brass Castle Brewing. Now, this recording was all the way in Boston, Massachusetts. The
2: is going to reveal just how they make delicious beers which just happen to be vegan and gluten-free.
5: Just to keep you on your toes, by the way,
3: we've actually swapped it. so this is Desert Island Beer.
2: Not (laughs) learning discovery. We
3: swapped the order this week. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's uh, this week's Desert Island Beer.
6: Desert Island Beer. My name's Phil Saltonstall, and I'm the founder and formerly head brewer, but now owner of Brass Castle Brewery which is based in Moulton, North Yorkshire. And that's happily now officially Yorkshire's food capital.
4: Tell us why you started doing vegan beers. And when you started doing vegan beers, was there a particular gap in the market? Or was there a personal reason why you thought you'd go that way?
6: We set up Brass Castle Brewery in 2011. And at that stage, I was vegan. I'd just finished learning how to brew in the United States. You know, i begun my life as a Royal Navy helicopter pilot. I'd gone on to become a diplomat of the United Nations. I've latterly became a, a Coast Guard, but in between times I started brewing in the United States and using animal derived products in the brewing process just wasn't a thing. So when I returned to the UK in 2011 to set up the brewery, it was quite important to me to, as a vegan and not really having to, had to use animal products before to try and take on cast brewing but without animal additives and you know at that time there were some really good examples of people doing the same thing and still are so we were sort of energized by breweries like marble brewery uh, from manchester and Moore brewery from somerset who were taking the same tack and i think the thing that we were most keen to do was to make beer accessible everybody should be able to drink the beer and the thing that The thing that would always make me very sad if somebody came to the bar and said, you know, I have this particular allergy or this particular concern, and that's going to prohibit me from from tasting your beer.
4: So for people who don't know, why is not all beer suitable for vegans or vegetarians?
6: I mean, critically, in, in vegan vegetarian beer, there are certain ingredients that we can't put into the beer. Some of those are obvious, like, say, lactose, normally associated with a milk stout or or laterally with a milk IPA. Lactose is a milk derivative, so we don't put that in. But some things which are a bit odder as well, we also have to stay away from, not problematically so. So honey is a good example. A vegan would eschew all animal products, and that also means that honey is off the menu. And then there's just like the odd thing that some people put in their beers, things like the red colouring. That could be something like cochineal, which is actually crushed beetles. So again, not something necessarily that a vegan or vegetarian would want. But the critical thing or the main element in respect to cast beer, is the use of Isinglass, you know, as a fining agent to clarify the beer. And that is an animal product that we wouldn't use at Brass Castle.
4: I kind of knew vaguely about Isinglass. I think they use it in wine as well or is that man Yeah,
6: they do. It pops up in wine. They sometimes use gelatin in wine for basically the same reason. Fortunately or unfortunately, Isinglass is really good at what it does. Um, And there isn't really, certainly in the UK market, uh, an alternative.
4: So what do you use instead? What's the ingredient that you use?
6: So, I mean, essentially, Isinglass is a process aid. Um, It's there to help swiften the process of beer clarification for both the brewer and the publican. Um, It's a a finings addition for people who want to clarify yeast as it happens more quickly. So, you know, there are a number of hazes that can crop up in beer. But in cast beer, quite specifically, we want yeast to be in the cast to, for secondary fermentation. But then, paradoxically, many people don't want it to be in the glass. And one way of achieving that is just to let the beer settle out over time. Um, and another way is to put Isinglass in. For those that don't know, Isinglass is a derivative of uh, fish's swim bladders. Um, and it has a sort of a marine odour. But the way it works is it's a charged particle. The collagen works as a charged particle. So yeast has a particular charge. It's attracted to the charge of the, char- of the um, Isinglass. The yeast clumps together with Isinglass and drops out of suspension. A brewer will pour... Uh, a certain amount into a cask but you can think in terms of roundabout a pint so if there are 72 pints in a cask um, one of those pints would be Isinglass in an Isinglass cask Um, and that does correlate to approximately half a fish per pint if you want to put it in those terms. Isinglass is one other sort of nice element if you like to think of it this way is that it does improve head retention and head formation so it does help Generate a more foamy pint. Um, unfortunately, that means that it's in the beer, <laughs> and so people have begun to realise that you are drinking it too. Um, and there was a recent American study uh, that I read that said actually you can be drinking a reasonable amount of it in the course of a pint, which is another reason why you know vegan or vegetarian people wouldn't necessarily want to drink an isinglass pint of beer.
4: Are there any other? processes or ingredients you use as alternatives for not using animal products?
6: We have our own house yeast, which is just basically quite heavy. You know, in brewing terms, it's flocculent. And it's a very old English strain, um, which we sort of nurtured and now is unique to us. But that drops out of suspension quickly and without the need for artificial assistance. So you can render your process and change your recipe and use a yeast type which basically gets you a clear beer without needing to have recourse to something like Isinglass. And that's good because there's a whole host of not good things that come with Isinglass. It's there to clear the yeast out. So it's actually reducing yeast activity, um, which means it foreshortens secondary fermentation. You know, Secondary fermentation is important to cask ale lovers because we want the yeast to be active and doing its thing in the cask to give us that delightful conditioned beer. If you stick Isinglass in there, actually, you're kind of stopping it from doing that. Mm. Um, but that's part of the paradox of many drinkers wanting a nice clear beer. And I get that. Certainly, when we started brewing in 2011, clear beer in rural Yorkshire was an absolute must. And, and that has changed a little bit over time. You know, now people have begun to understand that actually, as a general rule, a hazy beer will contain or can contain more flavour and that's a thing with things like the advent of New England beer styles and a look back at, you know, classic beer styles that are hazy, like hefeweizens or Whitbeers and things like that, mm. we're beginning to understand the value of haze in a beer. So although when we began Brass Castle in rural Yorkshire, we had to make sure that our, you know, traditional British style beers were clear, and we found that we could do that without, without recourse to glass. More recently, Um, I think there's more acceptance of a hazy beer. And actually, as a general rule, um, we find that allowing ourselves to just make a beer hazy allows us to transfer more interesting flavours into the final beer.
4: Your beer is also gluten-free. Does this involve anything in particular? And what are the benefits as well?
6: Yeah, so we started gluten-free brewing maybe a year and a half ago. We've done some tests and... Essentially what we do to make beer gluten-free is we we make a regular beer and we then put a small vegan-friendly amount of an enzyme into the fermentation tanks. So to give you an example, we put 45 millilitres of fluid, this enzyme, into a fermentation tank of 2,000 litres. It's an absolutely tiny amount. But it's a technology derived from a type of mould which um, sounds great right (laughs) which lager companies and big beer brewers had used for a long time to again clarify their beer so another haze type that comes in beer is protein haze that's quite regular and it's the you know a feature of new england ipas and it's a feature of wheat beers big lager companies don't really want a protein haze because they want it to look beautifully crystal clear so they've been adding this type of uh, enzyme for a while that enzyme cleaves out protein from the beer. And a side effect of that is that it removes gluten. So you can get your beer to be gluten-free, and many of the mainstream lagers, therefore, are for this reason, uh, by reducing the amount of gluten through the use of this enzyme. Now, the most fabulous thing about this is that you don't notice. I mean, Mm. for the last couple of years, we've had beers as finalists at the Great British Beer Festival. We win far more than our fair share of awards and nobody notices because there is literally no flavour penalty. So it's the accessibility thing again. If we can make a beer that is suitable for somebody who has a gluten intolerance and it's suitable for a vegetarian or vegan and it tastes just as good as a regular beer, in fact, nobody notices, then that's what we'll do. The only thing I would say as a slight addition to that is that we don't tend to scream about that in our marketing. So the people who know us know that we do gluten-free beers and they know that we do vegan beers. The, the sadly depressing thing is that we won't scream that out on our pump clips or on our you know, sort of point-of-sale stuff because many customers might be put off by that. What's much more delightful is to discover that they're drinking and enjoying the beer And they don't even know that it's vegan and they don't even know that it's gluten-free.
4: Based on your beer range, do you have any really good food and beer pairings based on your beers, like your favourite combinations?
6: You know, I really don't. And I apologise for this, but I am probably the worst person to talk to about food and beer beer pairings. I kind of don't believe in it. (laughs) So what what I mean by that is, you know, the wine industry got itself very interested in in wine and food pairings for an obvious reason, which is that wine is really not complementary with food. You know, any any chef or restaurateur will tell you that mm. um, wine just doesn't go that well with food. So you have to work a little bit harder about what pairs with what and so on and so forth. Now, in Germany, beer is a food. It's classed as a foodstuff, mm. and those same restaurateurs will tell you that beer complements food much more readily. So the range of beers that go well with foods is much wider and I tend to think you should kind of leave it to the individual. I think there Mm. are some, maybe some general rules. You know, so like sweeter, hoppier beers are often thought to go better with hot food and that's generally because the sweetness um, Mm. helps to counteract the heat. Um, Some people like to associate a a sort of sweeter, more desserty, dark beer with a dessert. But, you know, it's free for all. I, I mean, I like shoving marmalade on vegan sausages you might think that's weird but you know that's not an obvious food pairing i think just do what do what tastes nice
4: we have this item on the program about asking people to choose their favorite desert island beer do you have a favorite that you take to a desert island
3: what a tough
6: question um so i've gone i've gone i've gone straight and local and easy um and when i say local i mean local to where i am now in boston so I'm going to choose a beer called Hop, Hop and Away, which is a, a low-alcohol hoppy pale ale uh, made in cask and can and keg by a brewery round the corner from me in Somerville, Massachusetts, called Aeronaut, who are absolutely brilliant. Um, and they regularly bring their beer to the Great British Beer Festival. It's a cask beer, but it's a proper hopathon and it's a really gentle, extraordinarily drinkable, soft, lovely Thing, so I'll, I'll
4: take that. Okay, that's great. Well, it was really nice talking to you. I say I really have learnt a lot.
3: Desert Island beer. Well, I tell you what, I don't know about you guys, but I learnt a lot from that interview. I'm glad I was kind of right about Isinglass, but I didn't really get anywhere near the eloquent scientific answer. Given by Phil there, I think he absolutely nailed it.
5: I mean, I'm not going to lie; it makes me feel a bit f- funny thinking about the use of a fish product to refine a beer. I'm just glad that it doesn't add any kind of tuna note to the ale at the end, you know. Yeah.
2: Well, you say that, but I've had an oyster stout before, and it was delicious. Oh, so.
5: I don't know, Ozzy. Oh. This is not ringing my bell at all.
3: I-, I once dropped a scampi fry in a double IPA in it, and I thought it would be
5: good.
3: <laughs> that might have been due to the, pubo- <laughs> the beer I was drinking. <laughs>
5: That's as close as Bundy's got to fishing beer. He dropped his scampi fry in one. Well,
2: Phil makes a really good point, though, that actually many beers are going to be vegan by default, but it's this obsession with drinking a perfectly clear beer that's the main reason why some beers aren't vegan.
5: I love a hazy beer myself, I do, and I've always thought that they tend to have a bit more flavour to them. I think it's similar
3: with cider. And I remember when I worked on cider, just the amount of effort that went into clarifying the cider and filtering it and refining it just so it's that perfect look in a glass. And you say there's also then there can be some stigma with calling a product vegan or... Or gluten free. A lot of people perceive maybe that you end up paying extra for things that are gluten free and vegan and things like that. So, or they're not so as good, a, and, yeah. that, and they can be not as good. They feel that like they're going to lose something in the, in the flavour, mm. which uh, which I think the, that interview just proved is not is not the case. I guess it's like it's somebody said if you marketed a mixed salad and said this is a vegan special some people might avoid it go oh no I don't want to get involved with that vegan stuff
5: yeah and you know on that note I do love the comparison of their beers to being a salad or a muesli I thought that was quite cool and you know if you do think about it it's basically all the ingredients isn't it Although I'm not sure my doctor would recommend it as one of my five a day. <laughs> I also
2: love his desert island beer. I know I'm a little bit biased because I'm a sucker for American beer, but it's from Boston and the name is <laughs> Hop Hop Away, which is so much fun. <laughs> you it.
5: and your American brews, Wilesie. <laughs> Now, listen, I may have lost my appetite a bit talking about fish (laughs) bladders earlier, but let's focus on something a bit more appealing, shall we? We've done a bit of beer and food already. This week, we want to do beer paired with veggie and vegan food. And it's fair to say that matching beer with big flavoured meat dishes can be the default, but... We're going to solve some of that now with some great recipe suggestions.
3: Absolutely. So first we've had a great chat with Sue this week and she's (laughs) given us some advice on vegan and veggie food that you can pair with beers and she writes to us saying when we go to a pub boasting great food and a fine cellar our biggest problem is usually which kind of fair and brilliant beer to choose but spare a thought for those who have to ask is there anything on the menu I can eat? Uh, be it for ethical or health reasons. But there are more vegetarians and vegans than ever before, while many meat-eaters are embracing meat-free cuisine.
2: In her beer cookbook, she includes an entire veggie section and includes this prime piece of advice in it. She says, don't assume that because you're cooking with vegetables, you only need to use the lighter ales. Some veggies, such as swede, wild mushrooms, Brussels sprouts, parsnip, sweet potato, beetroot and onion have big flavours that can be cooked in or accompanied by big beers.
5: So, I mean, let's just read some of these veggie recipes out from this book because they sound absolutely bang on. Check <laughs> these out. You've got here red pepper and dried chestnuts in beer aspic with blue cheese and spring onion crust. Mm. <laughs> that sounds oh, yes. so good. <laughs> We've got a roast plum tomato and pepper sauce with red basil plum beer and penne. We've got spiced onion collops with IPA. Yeah, Sue loves a collop. We've, we have collops in episode one, I think. Onion collops though. this time. Onion <laughs> collops this time. We've also got wild fungi and oyster mushroom pudding with pickled walnuts in truffle and oyster stout gravy. Walsy, you said you had an oyster stout. Those recipes look absolutely lovely.
3: Sue tells us that her winter warmer Wellington recipe is extremely popular. So, so that's another one to check out. It's here, back. also her toasted hop and lemon sorbet and boozy fennel baskets. Oh, I mean, where does she even finish.
5: dream up this stuff? I, I, I struggle sometimes opening that cupboard, going. Okay, beans it is. <laughs> mm.
3: but I, I tell you, because we've got so many of those delectable ones to choose from, why don't we offer it up to, to the public, to the listeners? Oh. So I tell you what, we're going to stick a quick poll up on Twitter, at pubspintpeople. If you go on there and cast a vote, we'll see which one you choose out of that wonderful selection there. And then we'll release that recipe this Friday.
2: Well, huge thank you to Sue, as always, for being such a good sport. Now, next, we're going to be welcoming back Mark Dredge, who is a good friend to the show. He is known for his regular slot as a beer expert on Channel 4 Sunday Brunch. He's also the writer of many fantastic books about beer and joined us for our craft beer episode. What many of you might not know is that Mark has recently become vegan, which will have quite an impact on how he cooks with beer going forward. So we're going to hear all about that journey and a bit more about what he's been doing in terms of matching beer with food. Learn and discover.
7: Mark Dredge, welcome back to the program.
8: Thank you very much, great to be here.
7: So you've recently become vegan. Importantly, how has that impacted your beer choice?
8: <laughs> um, I don't think it's necessarily changed what I'm drinking. I think that's really the, the main thing. Um, it was more, I was going more towards that anyway. Definitely eating a vegetarian diet and not having any not having any meat. And then this year I just decided to start with just plant-based diet and it's just carried on from there.
7: And just in case some people are unaware what proportion of beers would be classed as vegan?
8: Um, I would say that the vast majority would count as being vegan. There would be almost none which would be not vegetarian. There would be some kind of unusual ingredient in there to make to change that. Something like an oyster stout would be a rare example that they would use actual oysters in it. But otherwise, no, the vast majority of beers would count as, as vegan. The ingredients that would make them not vegan would be lactose, so milk sugar. Um, you find that in milk stouts. You increasingly find it in some pale ales, actually, or some uh, double IPAs, um, very modern ones. They use it to get a real creamy texture in the beer, and actually, some alcohol-free beers use lactose as well to give it more texture, more body um, for a lower alcohol beer. And then the other ingredient is isinglass, which is used in car scale as a fining ingredient. So basically, it makes it it takes the haze out of the beer. Again, that doesn't bother me, but I think stricter vegans perhaps perhaps would be a bit more bothered by it
7: right on to the food (laughs) you wrote a book called cooking with beer I assume a lot of these recipes are off limits to you now have you had to fundamentally change how you think about cooking and beer or cooking with beer I suppose
8: yeah well that was one of the things I wanted to kind of get to understand better during this lockdown period so you know I'm at home all the time I am eating more I'm cooking more but because of the, because of how I eat now, it's very different to how it perhaps used to be. And because I'd done these books about cooking with beer and beer and food pairing, I really understood everything about the meat side of things. But actually, I really didn't know quite as much about pairing with veggie and vegan food. I'd been doing it just casually, but I'd never really sort of sat down with notebooks and really considered it properly. So this has just become a great opportunity to really understand how beer works or doesn't work with different vegan and veggie foods what has been the most interesting thing about it the most exciting thing perhaps is that you know if you're cooking some sausages some meat sausages you buy them from the butcher you cook them you eat them they taste good if you want to make a vegan version of that there are lots of different ways you can do it but there are ways that you can create like fake meat you can use something called um Setan, it uses like a gluten flour, you can mix it together, but you can literally make it with beer. And that for me is something that's fascinating. You know, I can make beer an integral flavor of the dishes much more so than I can if I am cooking with meat. And that for me has become something that's really interesting and really, um, really fun to play around with.
7: So when you're thinking about cooking or pairing with vegetarian or vegan foods, where do you look for a source for that?
8: I'm trying to create the source now. I think that there are plenty of books about beer and about beer and food, um, but they they just automatically go to the meat option. So I'm now working on a book that is going to bring together beer and veggie and vegan food for the first time. That, you know, this doesn't this doesn't exist yet. There might be some small chapters in it, but it doesn't exist as a whole book that's dedicated just to this. And that for me is great. It's really exciting because I get to figure out this new path through it. And a lot of it is coming from beer and food, parents in general. You know, there's lots of established great pairings. And it doesn't necessarily matter what that what the protein is in it, they still they still work. Yeah. But there's definitely a lot of um opportunity to progress it more.
7: Do you have any favorite beer styles that you keep coming back to?
8: Um, there are certain beer styles which are better for cooking with. I've definitely discovered that. Things like pale lagers can work very well, stouts uh, porters can work very well, stronger, sweeter beers, you know maybe barley wines, Belgian quads, imperial stouts, um, Belgian blondes you know these are they're very consistent no matter what you're cooking, they work very well and I think that's because they're very low in bitterness, which is important, and they have some nice flavor to them you know beer is a very flavorsome drink, but it's like ninety five percent water, and all of the flavor. That other 5% is the flavour. So when you cook with it, a lot of the flavours are actually volatile. So you heat it up and they disappear. So it's kind of the, the challenge is to capture some of those flavours, but capture the good flavours, not necessarily the bad flavours. You know, For example, if you cook with an IPA, you end up sort of cooking away any sweetness. You cook away any aroma, but you're just left with bitterness, which you don't really you know. No one really wants to eat something that's very, very bitter. So yeah, it's um, it is it is that balance of flavour, but darker, richer, sweeter beers certainly are um, the ones that I cook with most of all.
7: And have you learned anything new since going down this path of beer and vegan foods?
8: actually one thing that was quite interesting was hazy IPAs. So this new style of IPA, which is sort of everywhere now, like the beers that look and taste like fruit juice, when I was when I was uh, writing uh, the other books about beer and food, that, that style simply didn't exist. So I didn't have recipes. I didn't have pairings that naturally went with these. So that's quite an interesting way. It's been quite an interesting thing to try and learn what they go with. And they don't necessarily pair with food in the same way that a regular IPA would. So I think, you know, you would often avoid uh, spice, chili spice and heat with IPA because the hops and, uh, and the chili, they kind of aggravate each other. Whereas with a hazy IPA, it's often a bit sweeter and the hops are aromatic, not bitter. So you have this sweeter, richer body that can actually work quite well with some chilies. So there's all these different kind of combinations that, that you discover with that with that new beer style.
7: Do you have to fundamentally think differently about the cooking process when you don't have meat to fall back on?
8: It's not the meat itself that you're pairing to. You're pairing it to the cooking method and what goes with it. You're looking for those like links of flavour that can bring everything together and, and highlight and kind of enhance each other. And when you're cooking, I think you're using beer as a seasoning. And that's another way where vegan food can be more exciting or more accessible for cooking with beer, because, you know, often you do need to add a bit more to it. You have a piece of chicken, have a piece of tofu. The tofu is quite a lot blander. You know, I love it. A lot of people don't like it because it doesn't really taste of anything, but you can add all the flavor to it that you want. It's like a sponge for flavor. It's very like, And beer can be one of those flavors that you, that you push into it. You know, it's very often I will use things like miso and soy sauce. You add stout to that, that just adds another complexity in this like sort of flavor building to it.
7: We've been speaking in fairly broad terms. Can you give us any specific dishes that have become your favorites?
8: Yeah. uh, I've done a lot of baking with beer actually. Um, I wanted years ago. I wanted to write a book about baking with beer, um, and my publisher publisher didn't want it. So a
7: bit niche, was it?
8: A bit too niche, yeah. But now it's fine to have a beer and veg book. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, lots of baking with beer. I found, I think I was always quite cautious with adding beers to breads, thinking you'd only want to do a bit of it. But the more I cook with it, the more I realised that beer can just be the liquid. You don't need another liquid in there. Like I've got an amazing pizza, like focaccia pizza dough recipe which is 100% beer as the liquid. And it's brilliant. Oh, wow. It has this incredible incredible richness to it. Otherwise, what I've been doing recently is trying to, I guess, veganize classic beer foods. Um, mac and cheese was one that I really wanted to get. Like, I really wanted to nail vegan mac and cheese. And I, I, finally, I finally got that done.
7: What was the key to that one?
8: The key is, um, it's, a really, it's, it's a really simple recipe, but you're like trying to match the cheese flavor using other ingredients, that's the hard part. So you use cashews, so you blitz up some cashews, that gives you the creaminess. And then amazingly, the combination of things like nutritional yeast, which is quite cheesy and nutty, some mustard, some apple cider vinegar, some miso and a few other little seasonings, they come together to create an approximation of cheese, which is brilliant. So yeah, that's a. it took a few tweaks to get that right, but I've definitely nailed that now. And then what's great about it is the beer goes in and I always use a Belgian blonde and it has this richness of alcohol and this kind of extra caramelly sweetness, which just sets the whole thing off. So it's, it works really, really well.
7: Is there anything that you've tried that's been a notable failure, so to speak?
8: <laughs> um, oh dear. Uh, I've had lots of recipes which haven't which haven't quite worked out. I can't get chocolate brownies right, actually. Oh, really? That's really bugging me at the moment. I've, I quit. I did like four batches of it in a week. I I gave up that about two weeks ago and I got too annoyed with it and I had to stop. (laughs) I just, I can't, I cannot get it right. And I don't know, I don't know why they taste all right or they look all right, but then I can't get the perfect together. But that's, that's become kind of the challenge of this is understanding food better, understanding cooking better and understanding taste better. I'm just, and actually, you know, it's making me enjoy beer more and enjoy food more. So I think for me, that's kind of, the enhanced pleasure of the two of them. And that's why I like beer and food in general, because, you know, you can cook a great meal, you can have a great beer, but if you can bring the two together, then I think you can have that enhanced experience where they, they set each other off.
7: If someone was looking to start out cooking vegan or vegetarian food with beer, what's a good starting point?
8: Definitely breads. I think that's always that's always a good one because, you know, they're typically very easy. And they typically work quite well. Like long, slower cooked Foods tend to work quite well, Um, whether it's even just like a tomato sauce for pasta. You know, I've done, I've probably done about 10 of those recently to try and work out the exact portions.
7: What beer goes well with that tomato sauce?
8: Um, Actually quite a lot. I did, did, yeah, for for one dinner, and this is kind of the nerdiness that happens (laughs) when you're working on a project like this. But for one dinner, I cooked four different tomato sauces, sort of each on the hob at the same time. I had like opened the cans at the same time and I added them in at the same time and I cooked them for the same time just to see which ones worked. Stouts and porters always work very well because they just add this sort of umami richness to it, that sort of slight roast character. I used a smoky beer in one and I didn't think it would work because so it was almost more of a, curious, a curiosity to try it. But it left this amazing like smoked flavour in the tomato sauce. I tried it with a strong Belgian ale, but that didn't work. So it ended up being quite spicy, like clovey and like a really unusual character. Um, but it's a really good way to infuse some good flavor in. And it's very easy. You know, it's just oil in the pan, a bit of garlic in a tin of tomatoes, and then a bit of, a bit of beer. And then you simmer it down kind of to the, the thickness that you want it to be. It doesn't, doesn't need anything special. It doesn't need anything unusual. It's just, you're, let you're allowing those flavors to come, to come together. And actually I made some really good pancakes Some like, uh, ch- uh use some cherry beer and some pancakes. That was a good one. So big fat American style pancakes
7: with some cherry beer
8: with some cherry beer yeah and then i cook some cherries in the, some of the cherry beer as well to go on top so like really simple things that you can do but that just work well and i think that's that's what i want to do with this i don't want this to be massive long in recipes because that's not really how i cook it's not really how i think most people cook beer and food have to be fun great point to end on mark thank you very much thank you thank you very much indeed
2: learn and discover
5: Oh, I love that. What a great way to end uh, with that phrase, with Mark's credo, that it shouldn't be about long recipes. You know, beer and food have to be fun, and, and shouldn't it be the case always? I rather of you veggie or vegan.
2: Well, I've been toying with the idea of going vegan for about six months, but without much success. What about you, Ant?
5: Yeah, we tend to plan, and, and in that planning, we try to do at least two to three nights a week of vegetarian or vegan food. And I think the point you made before about sometimes you can cook a recipe that you really enjoy and not realise that it was veggie or vegan in the first place. Yeah. So we try not to see it as, a, oh, we're having a meat dish, we're having a meat-free dish. We just see it as, a, oh, we quite fancy that and that's something we enjoy and we're going to put that in the in the menu for the week. What about you, Matt?
3: No, no, I just love meat, mate.
5: <laughs>
3: sorry, sorry, planet. You know, just just uh, a T-Rex. Yeah, I, I do love veggie and vegan food. And as you say, I try and do some, you know, a couple of days a week, maybe, where I try we try and have all veg meals. I've also got a friend, a really good friend who's just done a road gluten-free. He's a celiac, has to be gluten-free. And he also avoids all nightshades. Which are a, a group of plants that cover off almost all delicious foods,
2: including like <laughs> God, potatoes I've never heard and tomatoes that, actually. and things. Wow!
3: So like, and and he also tries to do a bit of veggie days as well. So I see with them the difficulty, but I guess that difficulty inspires creativity.
2: Well, it's really cool to see that like vegan baking and cooking has come such a long way over the years. And I've definitely noticed restaurants are improving their veggie and vegan options. Although we're, you know, talking about this as three meat eaters, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, some are doing their whole menus to vegan food. So it'll be really interesting to see where Mark goes with vegan cooking and potentially baking when it comes to beer. So that's quite cool. Well, if you want to learn a bit more from Mark Dredge, he's actually very kindly been developing some of Camera's Learn and Discover resources. So he's created a beer drinker's dictionary and is joined by James Finch, who's done a guide for cider terminology. And we're also going to be seeing a series of audio guides from Emma Inch, on what's in a glass we'll see more stuff from gabe cook and pete brown is doing a dive into the history of ipa so lots of really interesting stuff available and that's for all camera members which you can find at camera.org.uk slash learn discover
5: Good, and remember if you're not already a member why not consider joining? You can help support the pubs and the beer industry uh, now and beyond with your membership while learning a little bit more about your favourite drink and making a few new friends along the way. It's only £26.50 a year and you can join at join.camera.org.uk or if like me your membership is up for renewal, just <laughs> get on that hyperlink click it and get it sorted. I set the direct debit up last week, I don't have to think about it ever again.
3: It's time for us to dive into the archive. Now we We said there was a bit of a Bumper Sue special this week. We've already had a look through her cookbook. She's popping up again here. She's in an article from January 1992 in which she's looking into the changing tides of vegetarian options that are in some pubs. She speaks to Janet, the landlady of the Linden Tree in Bury St Edmunds, and she talks about how she's been a vegetarian for eight years and she was trying to destroy the cliché of the uh, the vegetarian special being one dish. Do you remember the classic vegetable lasagna, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. often, f- often the frozen kind as yeah. well, if we're being honest. But it was kind of like the token afterthought at the, at the bottom of a pub's food board. So Janet talks about, the fact, wouldn't it be nice, this is in <laughs> 1992, to actually give people a choice to mulever when they're drinking a lovely beer about what vegetarian options to have. I think we have to agree with that.
2: Even if you're a meat eater like the three of us but fancy getting into a bit more veggie or vegan food on a regular basis, you certainly don't want to be stuck with a small and boring menu to choose from. I think it's about time for Last Orders.
5: Last Orders... Well, I shall start. As I said uh, earlier, I met up with some friends at a pub just down in Clop Hill. They'd set it up absolutely amazing. It was all table service, and because I'm a real ale drinker, I just knew that I was going to get something fresh. And the beer that I ended up being served was Sharp's Doom Bar. For me, having not been in a pub for a few a few weeks, it was just wonderful mm. to uh, to enjoy a pint of that.
3: What about
2: you, Matt? What have you been drinking? Well, Little
3: Bird told me that we're talking about Belgian beers next week. So I decided to get a bit ahead of myself with the research. And I thought I'd, I'd go with something that's been a really popular choice for guests on Desert Island Beer. Definitely one of the top choices. and That is a Duvel. Uh, so I went out and, and picked up a few of them. Uh, and it is it is definitely... A contender now for my desert island beer. I think I might change my choice from sixteen or seventeen <laughs> weeks ago. Whenever I made it was, I would say.
2: I love duvel It's so good. Well, this week I had beer from Wild Beer Co. and it's their Millionaire Stout. So it's like a Millionaire Shortbread, salted caramel, chocolate and milk stout. So if you just want a dessert and you're on a mm. diet, just have that beer.
3: Well, I tell you what. We were saying last week, Katie. We're glad that when you come back, you can choose a, a really lovely, unusual beer that people. <laughs> will then post on twitter to us saying this was fantastic and i noticed that we didn't get any of that in our <laughs> tweets last week with our, our middle of the road kind of boring choices. So, so we're very glad that you are back we did get a few little tweets this week though from uh, some of our glorious fans my favorite surnamed friend ed Quaff the raven real surname Brilliant. apparently he said he really enjoyed the food pairing episode and he recalls when he had a six-course paired menu by Geese Fountain and Framework Brewery Ooh. that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Sounds marvellous. So we've also got Sean O'Mahony, a Twitter extraordinaire, and he talked uh, about having bumped into Steve Dunkley from Beer Nouveau. Do you remember? the guest on episode six. What a Ooh. great interview well, there we are. Uh, that was and the guys from Beer Nouveau. So that's nice to see uh, people meeting up like that nowadays. And, and then the final one from uh, Middle Glass Education. We talked about in, in the recipes, what are the required beer shaped hole and I think quite brilliantly says that that sounds like it could definitely be an undiscovered session track for in utero it does doesn't it <laughs> that could really be that could be a, a B side an undiscovered B side <laughs> so though, we love hearing from everybody so please keep tweeting us keep telling us how better Katie's beer choices are than ours. (laughs) It's, It's at Pubs Pints People. We love to hear from you and we'll read out the best ones.
5: Oh, gang, it's been great to have you both back with me this week and what a lovely episode it's been. So do join us next week, listeners, where, as Matt said, we'll be looking at Belgian beers and talking with John Clark and Tim Webb.
3: And for my quote this week, I tell you I've matched our theme about pairing beer with veggie food. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a quote from Dave Barry, who's a fantastic uh, comedy author. And he says, Without question, the greatest invention in the history of mankind is beer. Oh, I grant you that the wheel was also a fine invention, but the wheel does not go nearly as well with pizza. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Cheers! Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>
4: How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free, courtesy of our pals at Beer52, by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 5, 2 in the 52. And covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers.
3: Beer52
7: is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent.
4: So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia, and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light only case. Also included is the ever insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time.
7: So head over to www.beer52, that's the
6: numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.